Welcome to Fred Basin's Diaries, read here by Clive Farahar. This is a book collector podcast sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. Fred Basin's Diaries, Part 8. Nineteen forty. The war has certainly given the book trade the needed flip up and all the bookshops seem busy. My ARP duties do not allow me much time to scout around, but I have to dabble and keep in touch and sell as much as possible before the bombs get in my stock. They tell me that it is the war which has also made people more attracted to short stories. Life now seems shorter, when there's no time to read, say, The Good Companions, and so at last the stories of H.E. Bates, Coppard, Strong, Maugham, and W.W. W. Jacobs are really coming into their own and selling like hotcakes. Of these, Maugham is daddy. But there is no doubt that A.E. Coppard is a notable rival. I'm glad to see the short story no longer neglected by the public. Around 1923, when I was in my teens, I just couldn't sell a book of short stories by anyone except Sapper, and only is so very occasionally. But it is indeed very sad, and it takes a bloody war to make books sell and see writers come into their own. They won't take me into the army. I wish they would. I'd make at least a good librarian instead of a light infantry man. But as long as I do something, I don't mind. People are also more matey these days. Yes, the dustman said good morning. I was astounded. A red letter occasion in my life. In my one and only best suit, deep grey, Shirt blue striped and collar to match, with a tie of paisley silk, Madeline Carroll's gift to me, deep red and blue-black background, my best shoes, a nice overcoat which I paid 50 shillings for in the cooperative stores, and it fits lovely, with a light grey and soft trilby, turned down brim, a shave and a nice haircut, all in all neat, clean and tidy, I went alone into the Savoy Hotel. My dinner cost 18 shillings with 2 shillings tip, it was well worth it. I felt scared, also fresh. A fitch out of my class, but I have now dined in the Savoy alone. With one shillings to the porter, it all costs a guinea, and an absolute bargain as an experiment. But I shall never, never go there again alone. Next time, I shall take a nice-looking young lady with a May West figure. Later, I've had tea at the Savoy on several occasions with USA Big Pots in residence there. I like Savoy chocolate eclairs, real rich. Now I've had dinner and all. But I was still hungry. So I had a fish and chip supper in the New Kent Road, one and sixpence after my adventure. Saw no one I knew at the Savoy. The whole place looked so clean. One waiter sniffed. In a parcel of books today, I found a prospectus. It's for a book by Gerald Bullitt called Poems in Pencil by Dent. I'm for saying, where's he put his bleeding pen and ink? The Jury by Bullitt is one of the ten greatest novels I've ever read in my life. But if he must write poems, I do think he might do them in ink. Me, I'm only a slapdash author, Mr Bullitt, but I do use ink. I don't know if the book is out, but don't matter. I won't read it. I'll make a New Year's resolution. I'll try to have a bit of a bash at Shakespeare once a week all this year, or at least as long as my belly can stomach it. I feel as I ought not to neglect him in case I get asked a W.S. point and finds myself stabbed out.
The Fall of the Mighty Today, a friendly evening news reporter called in for a chat, some copy and a cup of char. And he told me that years ago he was over Islington Way on a job and he called at a lodging house that was so dirty and dilapidated that even he hated going up the dirty stairs. He knocked at all the doors, no answer. At the top floor, he knocked and a very old man came to the door. The reporter was invited into a hovel of a room and the old man could give no information on the people next door. He'd never met or spoken to them. He hadn't spoke to anyone for days. And he was down to two pence. And guess who he was? He said and gave proof that he was Fergus Hume, who wrote The Mystery of the Handsome Cab and several other weird novels, living in absolute poverty and dirt and broke and hungry, forgotten and unwanted. What a tragedy to outlive all your friends and outlive all your days. What memories the old man must have possessed. But he could barely talk and his memory was going fast. The reporter gave him a pound note. The old man cried. It was the reporter's last pound till he got his expenses. But I said it was well spent. Fergus Hume. I've sold the handsome cab in many editions. The reporter said that FH only got 20 quid out of that million seller thriller. As he sold it outright. No, pal. Never, never, never sell outright. Had my medical today for the army. Five doctors and the best one said, What are you doing? I said, Full-time ARP warden. He said, well done. If the war lasts till 1950, we may well call you up in the last 10,000 to clear up the mess. But you badly need a rest yourself. You are worn out. Go back to the ARP. We shall never bother you. C3 on the card. Wait. Seven stone, ten pounds. Oh, well, I did go. But truly, they marked as A1 many less fit men than me. And one of them did cry. He was afraid. Well, I was afraid. And I'm often afraid and often cry. But what good does it do? It's a job. I ate it. Twelve hours on and then twelve hours off. All nights one week and then all days. It makes it impossible to sleep. A doctor pal gave me a drug. I haven't slept a sound night in three weeks. The medical took place at Upper Tootin Road at ten o'clock. I've been on duty all night, nine till nine. And I got there at three minutes past ten and got called over the coals by a fat cow. I was not seen till 11.20 and for three quarters of an hour I was nude and shivering. An M.O. seeing me got a big blanket. Bless his kind heart. I was now on duty again at nine and I've got some sleep. It's now 10.30 on the 23rd of August. A hectic day. The rest are playing billiards. My eyes trouble me. I can't seem to focus them on anything. Soon they'll come in and play crib unless the warning goes. Not a bad crowd, except for the boss. He takes it out of me. I think he's a little jealous of the fact that I am a writer, whereas he hopes to become an author. But Christ, I'd write all his stuff for him if he'd give me an even break. Bombs in Boyson Road and Faraday Street tonight. The streets on both sides of my home. It's a very bad night. No, I wasn't scared for myself. I've accepted the ruling that what will be will be. They're playing Moonlight and Roses on the wireless right now. I do like that tune. I have news that Ada is dead. That is a blow. She loved me and her encouragement helped so much. There is a gap again. No girl of my own. Poor dear Ada. 25. We'd known each other for about four months. There was no talk of marriage as yet, but she was so nice. Oh, but for this war, I'm sure we could have found happiness. 
Lizzie, my landlady, is well. Bless her, five foot three and full of some seven stone, but a mine of courage, a real cockney, more than I could be. A smile and a ready help for all. She rushed round to help in Faraday Street. No helmet, no coat, no fear. Hitler can't get her down, and poor old Dad is a brick as well. James told me that there's an old gang of brave Englishmen in Hollywood dying to get home to help England, the hypocritical bastards. And yet all this sweat and blood and tears and people still find time to send me cigarette card inquiries via titbits. In the last two weeks I've had 75 inquiries for odd cards needed to complete full sets and many want to buy and sell. Well, folks, they must have their hobbies. My Aunt May invites me to Thornton Eath for Sunday for tea and cakes. She's the only relation I have who takes the slightest interest in my literary achievements, and I feel she really cares. What am I writing? I feel lonely. Ada has passed over. They say it was an instant death, and that's a blessing. I feel aged tonight. They want me to broadcast in ACAC, a BBC programme. I don't feel like it. Quite enough to do. What's the use of extra cash with no girl to spend it on? I fear I'm fed up tonight. 1941. Virginia Woolf died today. I only once met her, and that was just outside the Ogarth Press. I naturally asked this distinguished authoress for a signature. Now, she was tall and thin and rather miserably sad-looking woman, and not in any way distinguished to look at. You would say, there's a woman with a load of sorrow. Later I found out that she was a very sick woman with a load of ill health, but at the time I didn't know this. She towered above my five feet four inches. As she signed, by way of conversation, I asked her if she would recommend an author whose work would help me in my quest of knowledge for the art of writing. And she said in a chilly voice, you would perhaps do well to read Stern. I thanked her, and on a label of a matchbox I wrote Stern, with no E on the end, in order to remember her advice. The next day, in David Lowe's bookshop, I purchased cheaply a novel by G.B. Stern. I read it with enjoyment, but for the life of me I could see nothing to teach me the gentle art. So I wrote a card to Miss Wolfe, saying, I read The Little Red Horses by G.B. Stern. It was very good, but not quite what I expected. Would she recommend the actual novel that would interest me and help? And she replied exactly like this. Stern, Stern with an E on the end. L. Stern, V.W. And that's how I came to read Tristan Shandry, which I did not enjoy. So I returned on my own free will to G.B. Stern, and for 15 years she's been my favourite authoress. Once I had lunch with her at the Albany Piccadilly, it was a slap-up meal with the nicest steak I've ever eaten, got specially to fatten me up. That was Clive Farragher, reading Part 8 of Fred Basin's Diaries. A book collector podcast, it was sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books. If you enjoyed it, why not consider subscribing to The Book Collector, a quarterly journal in print and online for all those who take pleasure from books. Thebookcollector.co.uk has all the details.